Hi, everyone, and welcome to All This in the Oscars 2, AwardsDaily.com's podcast on the Oscar race. My name is Sasha Stone. I run AwardsDaily.com. I'm here with our editor, Clarence Moy, and our good friend, Michael Gray. And we're just going to run down our experience at the Telluride Film Festival. Um, Overall, my general reactions is that it was a uh, lesser attended festival than in usual years. It's usually much more crowded. Um, that's partly due to the pandemic and partly due to inflation, which has risen a lot of the prices in the condos, and people just felt that they couldn't afford to come. So that's left uh, a lot of businesses without customers, and for us, we had less attended screenings. Um, but really, we're going to start with Best Picture. Um, in general, my general reaction of this film festival is that I'd noticed a big change in the kinds of critics who were writing awards here. I mean, film reviews here. Like, I find that they, the major outlets have gone with more, uh, what's the word? I hate to keep using the word elitist because that sounds right-wing and people hate that. But it, there's no other right way to really describe it. It's sort of like the, the critics that write for this now are, are more or less um, very sort of, uh, you know, indie, you know, sort of spirit awards kind of, people right they're they're very much in the rarefied air of of uh you know new york film critics mm. kind of thing and a less populist film critics like we used to have covering these um this race so that's why you saw such a strange disconnect between their re- their reaction to empire of light versus our reaction as oscar people because we recognize that it's a it's, it could be a strong Oscar contender unless it gets killed in the press. So I'm going to pass this to Clarence next, and he can continue on Best Picture, I guess. <laughs> well, another one, that was, another one that was really talked about this year was Women Talking. Um, and, you know, it, it's a good film. It doesn't it, – the people that really praised it and said it would be an Oscar frontrunner, not the Oscar frontrunner, but an, an Oscar frontrunner, those, those articles are very important when talking about that are, I think, looking only at the message and ignoring some of the issues with the film. Again, they're not super serious issues, but it is... Uh, like, what are some of those you would think of? Well, <clears throat> Sarah Polly very clearly wants to focus this story on theory, on discussion, on conversation. And as you and I have talked about, it doesn't have as much detail about the Mennonite life. You basically have to come in with an understanding of who Mennonites are, what their religious beliefs are, what their social uh, criteria are, and then come into that with preordained knowledge to be able to really appreciate what's going on in this story. Um, And it is a literal sort of 48 hours, I guess, of these people's lives. You don't know what happens after the story. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but you don't know what happens after the story. Um, and I guess I don't want to go down too much more of that path because I will have to spoil something. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, but I think a lot of people appreciate the message. They love the message. They love the, the, the female power, the exploration of different female perspectives. Um, certainly film critics loved it. You know, in casual conversations with moviegoers that we all had, I think uh, they were not as warm on the film as perhaps films critics were. We also had that experience with Tar where film critics went just completely over the moon for it. I mean, the reviews are outstanding. Certainly, Kate Blanchett is great in it. Um, another film that I think less so with women talking, more so with Tar, I'm probably going to need a second look at that 
just to, to, to look at all the, the, the rhythms of the film and to see what's going on. Um, it's a lot to take in. It's a very long film. It's a very dense film. Um, but again, if you're talking about best picture, critics love tar. Audiences, you know, festival uh, patrons who paid to see this film were not as hot on the film as perhaps um, as critics were. People who, you know, in casual conversations that I've had with filmgoers, one of the films that they talked about the most was Armageddon Time, James Gray's um, portrait of his childhood, of a, a very specific tumultuous period in his childhood. And uh, I, I just saw people spontaneously talking about it outside of a screening, standing in line, standing at the picnic. They just, they professed love for this film. And that's, I'm not going to say that that's an Oscar contender. I'm not going to say that it's an Oscar frontrunner at all because I think that's irresponsible. But you can't ignore when people do spontaneously bring up a film and use the word love with it. So those are kind of, and of course, Empire of Light. I, there were people also reacted very strongly to that. Those are two very emotional films. Those don't hit you necessarily in the head. They're not cerebral films. They're, they're films of the heart. And I think that's been a big distinction between the, the, uh, the major films that we've seen here. There's the films for the critics that are of the mind, and there's the films for audiences that are of the heart. So we'll see which ones uh, ultimately went out. Um, yeah, I think that's a good assessment. Um, now, Michael, I'm going to turn it to you briefly. Um, well, I'll just quickly give my comments on the best picture thing. I think that, you know, one of the things that you figure out in the Oscar race uh, uh, over the years as you are um, covering it is that a lot of times the films that do well in the Oscar race are the ones that people say that they love but that they don't think will get nominated. That was true of CODA last year. Um, it's it's kind of true of like the movies that fly under the radar rather than the movies like Nomadland that came in as the front runner and was always the front runner, right? But a movie like, um, you know, where, where they just think it might be too small or too slight to win, and but they say, but I loved it. Like I always keep an eye out for those kind of movies, and that's why I wanted to see that movie. And um, we didn't talk about Luca Guadagnino's movie, Bones and All, which is really a film to talk about. I mean, it's quite an amazing, strange, upsetting, visceral, wild film, unlike anything else we saw here. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but first I'm going to pass it over to Michael. Michael is sort of a, a good friend of mine, but also a friend of Mark's, and Mark Johnson wasn't with us this time because he, um, he had some health problems that kept him home. And we really missed him. You know, he was part of our team, and uh, and we loved having him here. And so hopefully he'll be able to come back next year for Telluride's 50th uh, anniversary. Do yes. the cop or yawn? I'm trying. Here you go. I'm trying to arrange us a room tonight in Flagstaff, and our hotel that we have in the book isn't open. So there's this one called the uh, High Country Motor Motor Lodge near downtown. It's got really high reviews. Should we just do that? Norman Bates. No, it's not that one. <laughs> Should I just reserve it? Yeah, I would. And the cheaper rooms are two queen beds as opposed to one king. Is that okay if we just get two queens? Yeah, that's fine. I can always have my invisible friend. You can do the blowjob in the <laughs> lobby later. <laughs> Call up Grinder. Make yes. it happen. Please leave that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is me and Michael's perverse, just creepy sense, sense of humor. Of humor. <laughs> All right. So, um, go ahead. So, then Michael, tell me, what did you like about this? particular Telluride Film Festival. Tell me about the highs and the lows. Um, well, I did definitely notice that there were 
fewer people this year than there were last year. Mm. And I agree it probably was because of COVID and high prices, and I'm pretty sure that they jacked up the prices on the um, Airbnbs and stuff like that, thinking that people had money and... You know, people decided not to come. And also, it was kind of lackluster with the lineup of movies. There weren't really, when I was looking at the lineup of movies, there weren't really that many movies that I found that interesting. And just only a few. I mean, I only got to see four. You know, last year I saw seven. So I only got to see four this year. So. Which ones did you see? I saw Empire of Light, Tar, Armageddon Time, and. Lady Chatterley. Lady Chatterley's lover. Well, how did you think of that? I didn't even ask you guys. <laughs> um, I'm familiar with the Lady Chatterley saga because I remember back in the 70s, they used, there were a couple of films about Lady Chatterley, and they were very, very on the line of soft porn-made films. <laughs> um, but um, the very, very first one was kind of well done like this one was. Um, the other ones became very, very sort of like erotic. It's all about sex, 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 sex. Um, so I know there was a BBC version about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. And so now this version. And it kind of reminded me, at first I said it, it kind of reminded me of, um, what did I say last night? Um, the um, What did you say? The guy who, who makes those um, like... Um, a Room with the View. Oh, Merchant Ivory. Merchant Ivory. And then he, re- then um, Clarence recorrected me, said, no, it's more like Downton Abbey, which in fact it is. It's kind of like Downton yeah. Abbey with a lot of sex. With a lot of sex. A lot of sex. Sex and nudity. Good sex? Bad sex? Um, um, sex? <clears throat> well, there are certain scenes which you actually think that they're actually having physical sex. Yeah. You can never, you, 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 it's like, it's so authentic, the There's, sex. That you think they're really having sex. There's some very convincing cunnilingus going on. Yeah, there. very convincing. By a guy? Him going down on her. Yeah, him going down on her. You think it's real. It looks real. Like yeah. he's really doing it. You know, and I guess we'll find this out later on somewhere. That... Well, no, because they're going to have an intimacy coordinator on right. the set. So there's no way it's real. My guess is that they did the same thing here that they did with... Um, Blue is the warmest color, where they put like the fake vagina over. I forget what that's called. There's a I word forget. For yeah, it. I don't remember either. But um, I, I assume because his. I mean, I don't mean to be crude, but his face is literally down in her groin. Is and, it like that Kate Winslet movie? Yes, yes, yes. It, but you know, he didn't come up with the the peach stained face, <laughs> the ruddy cheeks, yeah. and, oh, pubic hair burns on her face. With um, did uh. That's wild. So, but was it erotic or was it just like weird and clinical? No, I thought it was erotic. It was erotic. It was erotic, but done tastefully, though. Yeah, it was tastefully done. I was telling Michael as we left it last night. The the uh, the only thing that I didn't like about some of the sex scenes was that it was filmed like most TV shows are, very close up on the face. And when they got to a bit of a wider perspective and you could see the the whole body moving around and the gyrations that that was definitely hotter um the uh but you know just closing up on the face didn't do and we talked about best actress um do you think that she has a shot emma cornyn no emma cornyn i mean she's good she the best thing that she needed to do in my opinion was to eliminate all thoughts of princess diana because she got emmy nominated for playing diana in crown season four 
Um, I did not once. I mean, first time I saw her, maybe, but I. She's very different than Diana. Yeah, um, you know when you look at her face and they have a lot of um, shots of her, uh, close-ups. I swear she looks like a young Jodie Foster on, mm, on certain yeah. scenes, just like a young Jodie Foster. And we are calling her a she, but she is actually. It's a they. Yeah, she's a they. She's a gen- she's a they. She's a they. Yes. She's yes. queer. And yes. she goes by the terminology. The I just day, want people them. to understand that, that we don't really, yeah. yeah we, that's we, true. We I'm, haven't done that, but I just want to make that clear. We're not transphobic. We just kind of forgot. But yeah. I'm old school, so for me. Michael, what, yeah. Well, well, yeah. The, the one more so, thing that was really funny about this film is there, it, it is directed by a woman, a French woman, but there is a scene close to the end of the film where they run around naked in the rain and that's the only time that you see him completely naked from the front. And so basically what it amounts to is him running around in a grassy meadow with his penis flopping around. <laughs> and the audience was laughing at that. Schlong a flopping. Yeah, I mean, this is why in male nudity, you basically just see them standing still because... It's it, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And there is one part where they they both weirdly laugh at his erection in, the, in his underwear. I thought that was strange, too. There was... But in that scene in the rain, yeah. they barely show her, though. Yeah. Well, they barely had already show shown her. They show her, but barely. But they show yeah. more of his penis flopping in the wind. Because it's the only time you see him naked. The rest of it, you see her full on. Yeah, you see her. She's, yeah. she's, she's putting, They put flowers on her vagina. I mean, it's, you know. Wow. Yeah. Sounds very... Uh... <laughs> Do I need to fan you? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's exciting that they have a movie like that coming mm-hmm. out because movies have become so sanitized, you know? Like, And I know Don't Worry Darling apparently has some hot sex scenes in it as well. So that movie kind of, Don't Worry Darling was sort of oh, 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 overwhelmed by its real-life drama surrounding it. But what I think about that is that because we're also, we play it so safe in our social lives now, and, and it, I mean, in movies, that the people are like clinging to these real life dramas because that the drama is just absent in movies now. Everything's so safe, you know, and correct. But like in real life drama, you have this crazy scene with Shia LaBeouf and and the director Olivia Wilde and and, and this he, Zapruder film spitting sequence in between. <laughs> Zapruder supposedly <laughs> Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine's lap at the yeah. screening and. Twitter was all a buzz about it. They were talking about Chris. Like they have so much to talk about because they can't talk about the movie and or movies have become so boring that they're not interesting to talk about. I'm talking about for people like on Twitter or whatever that they talk about the real life dramas instead that because that is just a bigger story. It's more interesting. Um, so let's just quickly do best actress because I think if anything really sort of made me think of this is that we've now got three strong contenders for Best Actress. We have two that have already won, Kate Blanchett and Tar, Olivia Coleman in Empire of Light, me and Michelle Yeoh, where it looks to me like the awards race is gearing up to just hand her the Oscar. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. Those three are locked. Um, and Michelle Yeoh is here for the season. Like, she's all... I mean, she did a surprise um, special uh, tribute here that was not advertised. They did a special sneak screening of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon... Um, she was there. She was here the entire weekend. She attended parties. She's been in uh, tons of photos. She was at an Ampus party. She was at a Sunny Pictures Classic party. Um, and that's just a Labor Day weekend. She's here for the long haul. She's going to be everywhere. She's going to be doing all kinds of press. I, I, I mean, I think in addition to the Academy wanting to probably give it to her because 
Celebrated actress, Asian actress. Don't think of an Asian actress has ever won Best Actress. Um, How's that, Michael? I, I can't think of no, one. No, I don't think so. Um, supporting. Yeah, supporting. Supporting, at least twice. But supporting. if she's... this this, And I mention all of that here in Telluride because that just shows her willingness to get out there, press the flesh, be at every party. She's going to be like... Uh, um, Bong Joon-ho was in Parasite. And I don't mean that just because an Asian comparison. I mean just... <laughs> that was when I when I covered the Oscar race. He was at every party I went to. Oh he God. was he, everywhere. He even went to the HCA before they yeah. were... Um, the uh, Yeah, I agree. And she's come so close. Like in Crouching Tiger, the first year I did my site, Michelle Yeoh was all the talk. Mm-hmm. All the way back then. And so she's way overdue. She was in um, that other movie, uh, Crazy... Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, I can't say it. Um, yes. So um, I I think that uh, if you had to pick a winner for Best Actress right now, who would you pick? I would pick her. Yeah, Michael. Well, I, I haven't seen the film with Michelle Yeoh. So if I heard... I just choose... dare Michael to sit through that movie. <laughs> he so won't make it 15 minutes. I dare minutes. him to sit through five minutes of that movie. It's not, it's not that good? <laughs> no, it's not that. It's no, just that... No, it's very different. It's very much geared for a... TikTok, uh, very low attention span audience. There's lots of, and there are quiet multiverse. Yeah, there's multiverse so stuff. So why is yeah. she? So why is she a frontrunner? Because she's good. Cause in she's it. really good in it. You'll see. I'll show it to you when we get home. But, but it's um, the, the the film itself is a, is a challenge. So if yeah. I had to choose between Olivia Coleman and Kate Blanchett, I would choose Olivia Coleman, who gave up to me a much more superior performance than Kate Blanchett did in Tar. Now, let me just say one thing, and then we really do have to go, because you're not even going to have time to eat breakfast if we don't get up there. Oh, I'm fine. It's fine. But you have to leave at 11. But they're picking me up there. At 11, which only gives you... It's fine. Okay. okay. Um, the thing is, the reason Michael def- deferred to Olivia Coleman, I think, is because the movie's more emotionally accessible than Tar. Tar, she's not a likable character. Right. And it's a hard sell. Um, it reminds me of her Elizabeth, um, and she did win for Blue Jasmine, who wasn't exactly likable. Um, Olivia Coleman's much more likable, um, so I could see her winning her second Oscar, which would be hilarious. <laughs> but um, but I, I don't think so. I think Michelle Yeoh has it. I think she'll win the season. I think she'll win New York Film Critics. She'll just win all the way down the line, and no one's going to want to refuse her that award. So I think she's going to win. Um, we don't. I don't think we've seen our best picture winner yet. Maybe we have, but there's a lot of films still to come in, in Toronto, um, in New York, and then AFI. We still have The Fablemans. Um, we have Greatest Beer Run Ever, which all the bloggers have insisted isn't going to be a player even at all, so who knows. Um, what else is headed to Toronto that's good, that we're all keeping an eye on? Glass Onion. That's that's glass good. onion, the knives out too. Yeah, that's going to be Netflix's biggest push. Okay, I think. so and they need it now after Bardo and White Noise kind of were a little bit deflated from these these two. That's less so White Noise, more Bardo. More Bardo, yeah. less so White Noise. Yeah, so and they're always dealing with the albatross of just being Netflix, and there's always this sort of prejudice against them anyway mm-hmm. because they're Netflix. And you know, there's a lot. It's only September. We have months to go before the Oscars. The Oscars aren't even until. All the way until March, March 12th. That's a long way away. But what's really interesting is that over the next three weeks, you have most of your major potential contenders premiering. After that, it's very quiet. Well, it's Avatar. And Avatar it's and Babylon. Babylon, right. And then, and then maybe Killers of the Flower Moon, maybe. 
No, no, that's no, a no. That's definitely a no. So that's a no. You have okay. the one with Fayola Davis. The Woman, Woman King. King. That's and been Black very... Panther Wakanda yeah. Forever. Yeah. Right. Woman King's been very quiet. I mean, it's premiering, and then it drops in theaters a week next weekend? No, the, the 16th. Um, they're not screening it. They are well. They're screen. They're, I haven't heard anything about it. It is screening at at the film at Toronto. Oh no, we got invited. We're going to a screening of that. Remember, I told you we got invited to a Woman King screening. Okay, next week, right? Yeah, next week. So the only thing I'm going to have a hard time seeing is Fablemans, which I'm going to try to get access to as soon as possible. But um, I won't be the first word on that because we have Megan and Joey from the site and Shadan attending the Toronto Film Festival. And they're all going to see Fablemans before I do, so I have to, I have to babysit my ego for a little while on that one. Struggling mightily with the ticket buying process, they are having, there was like a disaster. Everybody who's going to, to Toronto tried. They they Ticketmaster was the the way you get these tickets. Now for press screenings, you can go stand in a press line, but if you don't want to do a press screening, you have to get reserved tickets. And people got tickets online, and then they they were dropped, and then they had to get on the phone and talk to people, and then they were three, four, five-hour wait times. Oh. And Megan is still without tickets to anything. As I read this morning from Twitter, she's been on the hold for two hours, and then it dropped her, and then she got back on hold. And it's just been... Oh, that's terrible. That, they had that problem last time, too, I remember. Yeah. Sounds like Burning Man. Did you hear about Burning Man? People tried to flee Burning Man, and they were in traffic for eight hours, and then Oof. that huge fight broke out. Uh. <laughs> that's a whole movie. <laughs> All right, that's it for us, guys. We we love you. Thanks for listening, and hope you found this enjoyable. And um, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Maybe next week we'll get together for a real podcast with our friend Mark yep. and catch him up on all the goings-on at Telluride. <laughs>